not that simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Okay, so I don't know what podcast that was, but I think it's a good question. John. Yes, sir. They, they did a top five. Pick one DC hero who you think would be pro-registration in Civil War. Oh, I'm trying to think of like more obscure characters and I, I just don't know any. <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, the Justice League, blah, 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 blah. I think, all right, all right, I got one. Uh, the Robin from Teen Titans Go <laughs> would be... <laughs> Would be, he's enough of a narc that he would be okay with it. Um. Oh my gosh, I'm mad that that makes so much sense. (laughs) No, seriously, like outside of the, I'm I'm like racking my brain if I've even read any comics outside of like the main characters of the Justice League. Like I have a year's run of Flash. I have um, a couple of years of the Snyder Capullo um, Batman, a couple issues of, uh, I think it's Dark Knight. Uh, no, 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 of uh, Detective Comics, excuse me. Um, a couple issues of Superman. Like, I just don't have the depth of knowledge of... I I, I think I could um, maybe pass a survey course in the DC universe, but don't know enough. Of, I know enough about it to get the jokes that are dropped in the background of uh-huh. Teen Titans Go, a show that my kids are <laughs> obsessed with, and I love because it's... I, I, people who loved the Teen Titans show are mad about it. I, I can separate the two and be like, that was a thing, and now this is a thing. And I'm sorry you don't have the old thing anymore, but look at this new thing you have. It's so goofy and funny. It tickles me. So It's wonderful. I love it. We watch that a lot. Um, but yeah. Robin from Team Titans Go absolutely would be pro-registration. Right? He's just kind of like, he's got that, that staff, that stick, real crammed up there, real tight. <laughs> so he would, he would be like, come on, guys. They wouldn't, they can't all, they can't all be bad. <laughs> you know, they would. <laughs> Aldo, one superhero. See, I'm really leaning towards Guy Gardner. Oh, I mean, mm. you just make him the bad guy in any situation, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one that kind of hits the most. Maybe maybe Aquaman, if you want to go for, I guess, for like somebody a little bit more prominent. I feel like either of those could really, you could really write them to be uh, pro-registration and not feel so against their character. Tell me about Guy Gardner, because I know, well, that doesn't really help. I was going to say, how does Guy Gardner compare to the other Lanterns? But I do not know the other uh, Lanterns. He I know. peaked in high school, so okay. that's, that's the first part. <laughs> one of those, all right. Yeah, so he, <laughs> One of those, he was like a like a football, like a high school, maybe college football, like quarterback type of guy. Um, I don't think he was a cop. He might have actually been a cop. Um, he's a Green Lantern. Yeah, so he's a space so he's a cop. cop. He's a space cop. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if he was an Earth cop, but <laughs> but he's I don't know. He seems like the type of dude who would you know he just seems like that type of dude who would really be okay with, with this whole registration thing if it helps make his job a little easier. Granted, I don't read that much Guy Gardner, and I feel like in a lot of books he's kind of written as the rebel of the Green Lantern Corps, but sometimes he, he I don't know he oozes big like cop energy. <laughs> he was in an episode of Brave and Bold, which is a show I'm trying to get my kids to watch because it's fun and has a bunch of characters I don't know, and it's it's different, you know. Also um, a great show. Yeah, and and uh, also has a couple of really innuendo heavy episodes, but like they might just fly over oh. its head. <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know, because yeah, you know, I just they're getting into an age where they're going to quote things out of context and not get why Daddy laughed, and yeah, it's going to be bad for me. They're going to be like, ha, 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 and they're going to repeat a joke, you know, around like yeah. relatives and be like, what are you showing your kids, John? No, no, it was Batman. I swear. They have an episode with the Birds of Prey where they are singing a song, and it's really just innuendos about how nobody else uh, measures up to. Batman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, that's terrible. Why? No. Uh, it's, it's about, it's as clever as you think it is, and probably a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's kind of why we don't watch uh, Great Mouse Detective, because there's just like a straight up, like, like, strip scene or whatever. It's like, w- w- these are mice, come on. But anyway, 
Oh, wait, is there really? That's, I, I haven't seen Mouse Detective in actual decades. It's kind of like, just like, you know, they, they go to a... a um, there's a bar and there's a burlesque dancer. It's a, yeah, 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 that's what it is. I was like, it's not a body club. It's a, yeah, it's, it is straight up a burlesque. Ca- and like, they don't really show anything, but I think in the lyrics, she says some things that are like, oh, that, okay, this is not like, it, it's just straight up is a burlesque. Yeah, yeah, and it's mice. It's like, come on. Because <laughs> there's some, I don't know, there's some like cool animation in there. Um, some, and I think Glenn Keane did uh, The Bad Guy. Whatever the big Moriarty rat is, but anyway. Uh, I, f- I feel like often, the, the thirstier the animation team, the better the animation. <laughs> just, just look at the animation in Cool World. Like, come on. <laughs> oh just, my gosh. Oh gosh. Look at Jessica Rabbit. Let's let's actually move on to the topic for the day, how about, like... Wait, Steven, who's who's your choice? Who... Uh, Jason Todd. I don't think he really pro registration. Here's here's why. Here's why Jason Todd is pro registration. It's not because he actually believes in the ideals of the Superhuman Registration Act. It's because he wants an excuse to beat up more people, and so there are now more lawbreakers. So he's like thunderbolts. He's like a thunderbolt. Oh, but I, you're also not like super up with like modern Jason Todd, huh? I also just think Jason Todd sucks, and only people who suck support the Superhuman Registration Act. That's fair. So okay, so early. Red Hood, Jason Todd, yes, I, I agree with you. I think modern, and by modern, I think maybe the last five years. I don't think he... No, he, like, truthfully, pretty much no one from the Bat family would, except for the guy on the podcast from that TikTok that you shared said Batwoman, and I hate to say it, but Batwoman probably would. Mm. I love Batwoman. Yeah. I love Batwoman. I think Batwoman's a great character. Batwoman would probably be pro-registration. Mm-hmm. Unless there have been, a, a, like, events in her stories recently that change things, because I'll be frank, I haven't read Batwoman since... New 52 era? Jeez. Mm-hmm. I'm so, so far behind on DC Comics. I'm so far behind on Marvel Comics, too. So why don't we read some Marvel Comics? I'm so far behind on comics. Yeah. <laughs> why don't we read some comics and talk about them on the Superhuman Registration Podcast? That's the podcast that we are currently recording right now. There's a reason we're talking about Civil War, but we'll get into that later. John, Aldo, how are you two doing tonight? Pendragon Forever. Very good. Yep, I'm fantastic. Did you say Pendragon Forever? Pendragon oh. Forever. Good morrow. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wow, I've never heard I've never heard Aldo more disappointed in me than right then. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I apologize. I am still a little out of it. I have not been getting the best sleep in the last couple of days. Uh, the Superhuman Registration Podcast is officially against uh, Spring Forward and all other daylight savings time nonsense. Ugh. Listen, I, I wish I could truthfully say that the government has one job. It doesn't. It has a billion jobs and it fails spectacularly on most of them. But the one time they had unanimous bipartisan support was to get rid of the whole daylight savings thing. And guess what? They still haven't passed it. It has sat. It has sat for like two, three years. Are there too many riders on it? So, so it's like, we want to we wanna uh, get rid of daylight savings time. Hooray! And then someone's like, and let's put prayer in schools. Oh, yeah, just like a little asterisk <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> uh, no, as, as far as I have understood, it was like a really lean bill. It had unanimous support, like unan- from the whole, uh, what is it, the first, is it Senate first? It uh, depends. I think they can come from either direction. Yeah, yeah, when, okay. whoever proposes it first, yeah. So it had like, Unanimous support the first, and then they got to the to the second part, and there there was like yeah, some unanimous support, and then it just kind of sat there, and it's been sitting there, and come on, just get rid of it, just do it, just sign it. Yeah, yeah. Biden, baby, come on, do do something. <laughs> I wish we could. Is there like a speed democracy, or is that just like? I think that's a dictatorship. Oh dang it! It's always a, there's always a catch, isn't there? <laughs> Oh, well. Well, anyway, let's talk about the comics that we read for today. Maybe instead of a dictatorship, we could try a monarchy. How about the the Knights of the Round Table? Steven, I'm interested to hear your take. I I know you're going to summarize it a bit, but, like, how much of... Your reading um, in your in your collegiate studies covered the Arthurian legend. 
Very little. Mm. So back up just a little bit. We read for today's episode a five-issue series. I don't know if this was the full series or this is just the only bit of the series that's available on Marvel Unlimited, but a five-issue series that was originally published by Atlas Comics of The Black Knight. So yeah, um, I was a creative writing major in college and studied English literature. There was a little bit of Arthurian legend. I read The Once and Future King. Did not care for it, actually. Hmm. And so I internalized very little of the, the Arthurian legend, at least from that perspective. My main source of information on the Arthurian legend is an old made-for-TV miniseries, which that sort of medium had its entertainment heyday back in the mid-90s. So made-for-TV miniseries called Merlin, starring Sam Neill as Merlin. Yes! Hey! Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I loved yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Martin Short as another, like, the right hand of, oh, shoot, Queen Mab. No, who was it? Who was it? Now, see, now, I don't know. I know that was Martin Short, but now I can't remember. I think it was Queen Mab who was the bad guy. Yeah. In in that. I don't, re I don't really recall it because I haven't seen it since the mid-90s. But anyway, reason we're talking about Arthurian legend is because this 1955 uh, comic series, The Black Knight, is set in Arthurian times. So the series creative credits are actually kind of difficult to find. Like, I don't know who did the lettering or if there was anybody who was doing inks and colors. Stan Lee was the writer and Joe Manili is the credited artist. And that's it. I can find, that's all I can find as far as art credit. There's not much plot here to recap uh, because these five issues are really... Uh, they're very episodic. Uh -huh. Each issue contains three or four stories, two comics stories about the character, the Black Knight, one story about a racist character that we will probably talk <laughs> about a little bit, and then occasionally there's another story or like a prose story in there as well. The story of the Black Knight in this setting is actually the story of a rather foppish individual named Sir Percy, who is the cousin of the evil Modred, who is planning on overthrowing King Arthur and taking rule of Camelot. Merlin recruits Sir Percy to help protect the throne, protect Arthur Pendragon, but as part of this protection, there, there's this little ruse. Percy has to put on this guise where he is silly, cowardly, foppish sort of character, when in reality he's actually a very skilled combatant who dons this black armor and wields this fantastic sword, the ebony blade, and goes by the moniker the Black Knight. So it's just a whole bunch of medieval shenanigans. Modred kidnaps Arthur, and Arthur winds up getting taken away, and Sir Percy dresses up in the Black Knight costume and goes out and saves him. You have knights coming to the court demanding the hand of the fair Rosalind, Arthur's ward, in marriage, and she rebuffs them, so they kidnap her, and the Black Knight goes and rescues her. Got a bunch of folks who, like, create this fake dragon, and they use the dragon to say, we captured this dragon, therefore you owe us the hand of Rosalind in marriage, and the Black Knight comes out and reveals that the the dragon is fake, and it's just a bunch of little episodic stories like that. There's a lot of fun to be had, a little bit of racism, a lot more racism in these other backup stories, which try to take a similar approach to, you know, you've got this warrior in the service of the king against these treacherous folks in their own court, but instead of setting in the Arthurian court, the crusader is set during the crusades. And no kidding. They take a man who was raised among the Muslims in, I think it's supposed to be in Jerusalem, but anyway, like raised among the Muslim population in the Crusades and they're like, oh no, you're actually an Englishman. And so he goes over and he joins the side of King Richard and fights against the, the Muslims in the Crusades. <laughs> and it's rough. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really awful yellow face sorts of uh, depictions of the, the, the Asian characters in both the Crusades. There's a little bit of it in, in the Black Knight stories as well. I was actually about to say, there's not really that much racism in the Black Knight stories themselves. And then we get to issue five, mm -hmm. which 
ends with a pretty, pretty awful story where some, the Tartars, I don't know if that's a slur or not, because it's a reference to, again, Middle Eastern people that I don't think would be used currently, and I don't know if it's related to a uh, particular region or not, but again, the, the actual artwork is pretty awful and quite, quite racist, which is unfortunate, because actually the Black Knight stories themselves, I thought were pretty fun. A little bit silly, a little bit disposable, and certainly dated, but if, except for the racism, I actually, I was, I was this close to actually recommending these stories, but now I think we need to have a little bit more of a conversation about it. Again, without there being an overarching plot, I don't know that I need to spend much more time breaking down individual events, although I'm sure that if there are things that we want to talk about, we definitely can. What were you, what did you two think? That was a lot of text. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was so, that was one of the heaviest reads I've done in a while, and I remember I read the first Black Knight story, and I was like, oh, that's not that much. And it's only 13, like, like 10 or 12 pages. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, now we have this other thing. You know, wrap that up, and it's like, oh, now this is literally just a book. This is just two, two pages of text. And then, you know, <laughs> rinse and repeat. <laughs> you get to the next one, you're like, okay, cool, we do the Black Knight story, we do the, the other story, and... Oh, cool. And now we get to the part where it's the Black Knight again. What the crap? <laughs> and I was just like, this is this is a lot. I, I am not shy to say that I skimmed a lot. You, I mean, you, I did too. Yeah, significant. Yeah, I mean, you have to because it's kind of just very wordy, very... I've read Ivanhoe once and I'm going <laughs> to rephrase the things in like night speak, you know. I, it was not as bad as I was worried it would be. There are mm -hmm. still problems that, you know, looking at it with a modern view, kind of, but, you know, I could see, like, as a kid, like, really, really being down with this, you know, like, this is cool, and it's, it has, the setting is, you know, medieval times or whatever, but it has, like, a super, it's a superhero book, you know, and he has a secret identity, and he's got, you know, there's interesting moments where he's like, oh, I love this, this Lady Rosamond, but she, you know, hates my guts because Sir Percy of Scandia is a wuss, and uh, the Black Knight is brave and awesome and, you know, never, never backs down to an enemy, all this stuff, you know, so there's that, that secret identity thing that we see in comics a lot um you know traditionally with comic books yeah. and so uh, yeah and i don't know i i was torn because i was like oh yeah you know, like you know 10 year old me would have dug this a lot but mm -hmm. um the t i i've met people who tartars i don't know if that i always heard like tatari like you know it, people in uh, russia where i lived like in that region would be like oh yeah i'm tatari you know which which is like a blanket term for people of central asia and sometimes kind of roped in with you know p like the like, part of the Mongolian Empire, like, just reading from Wikipedia now, the Confederation was actually incorporated <laughs> into the Mongol... <laughs> I was like, I know my experience, just, like, meeting random people on the street in Russia would be like, oh, I'm Tatari, which meant they were they were Muslim, they were from a smaller republic that was part of Russia, but, like, anciently before all of that, you know, they were part of, like, the Mongolian, like, the Mongolian Empire, you know. That's that's what I've run into now. How, how does that translate in English, and can you say, oh, you're a Tartar? You know, that sounds weird. I don't know. He'd <laughs> be like, oh, a Central Asian. I don't know what the, uh, you know, current way to acknowledge that group, because right. you know, certainly people who are from different cultures in Russia will, like, say, oh, yeah, we're, we're actually, you know. Aren't Russians also technically Asian, because Russia's in Asia? Yes and no. I mean, yes, but culturally... It's it's Russia's Russia's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's yeah I'm just I'm just helping illustrate the complexity of yeah that. because it's not it, it is and it is it's like it's its own thing you yeah know? Mm -hmm. there are many elements that, that are similar with uh, Asian countries in the region and also you know my friend Irina is um, Russian born and raised and from like Vladivostok but her ethnicity is Korean and so you know Russians not the most open-minded group when it comes to different races and stuff would often not not be so nice and then she'd speak and they'd be like oh crap you're like straight up Russian what's going on you know it's yeah. <laughs> 
I think based on based on that whole uh, summary that you read from Wikipedia, I would say TARP <laughs> is probably not like a racist term, but it's certainly a term that has not much practical use anymore because it would be used to describe a, such a huge group of people that doesn't really have enough in common. Like it, it just seems like it's a useless term mm -hmm. unless you're talking about that particular era in history. And if you are talking about that particular era in history, don't don't draw them like this. No. That's racist. Yeah. I'm not thinking of that that community sketch where Joel and Childish Donald Glover just back, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> yeah. That's black. That's racist. Dang. Anyway. I will say, though, kind of going back a little bit to the to the Black Knight stuff. The Black Knight stuff was fun. It was entertaining. Uh, right? I think for mm -hmm. me, one of the standout moments is, I think, the, the third book where I think Mordred or... S one of the one of the antagonists. They're trying to find the identity of the Black Knight, so they have the idea to kind of corner him and, in in less words than 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 more, um, beat the crap out of him <laughs> to keep him <laughs> occupied, so that they can go to each room and see which knight is still in the room and the and the one that doesn't have a knight in there. That's the Black Knight, and I was like, all right. And so Merlin, I think he's running behind the scenes. He's trying to like warn him that that's what's gonna happen, and so on and so forth. But that was just kind of fun. Like that was. That was a good, fun chapter. There was fighting. There was, like, a lot of action. There was tension. Honestly, like, there was, like, tension about, you know, if they were going to succeed at that or not. And it was it was good. It was surprisingly well done for something older than, I think, even my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, like, enough intrigue where he doesn't just straight up expose Modred for all of these things. You know, they're he and Merlin are, like, waiting on, like, solid proof. Not, hey, I saw this in my crystal ball. Hey, I fought these bandits uh, outside of town and, and Modred was there. You know, they're, they're um. They have to keep up appearances in court while at the same time, like, fighting off anyone who tries to oppose Arthur. I thought that was interesting how they, you know, keep that balance of, you know, keeping up appearances. Honestly, yeah, yeah honestly, if it wasn't for the, by today's modern standards, bloated amount of text, <laughs> I think this is, you know, kind of like Stephen was saying, this is an enjoyable book. Yes, there is racism and there is a lot of writing in here that is, you know, like I joked earlier, but like, that's not a joke. There really are just pages of prose. I don't think you can necessarily sell this book today as is, but I don't see this book necessarily doing all that bad if you wanted to bring back something in the style. And that's what I thought we were getting was the origins of the Black Knight um, as far as the character that I think they're like Dale, Dane Whitman. Yes. Nope, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So we're ending up padding, padding the list of old and slightly racist or very racist comics on our list. But I was like, okay, I think eventually Marvel's going to do something with this character, Dane Whitman, for, you know, modern audience. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. No, different Black Knight, so sorry. Yeah, so from what I have understood without having read a Wikipedia article in three years about the Black Knight, um, <laughs> <laughs> what I have understood is that the Black Knight obviously starts out here. This was, you know, before or right before the big jump in like superhero comics all, all over the place, right? Like, there were a bunch of Westerns, there were a bunch of Arthurian legends. There was just a lot of different comics that wasn't dominated by superheroes as we know them today. So part of this whole thing was that this is the Black Knight, and I think years later when they got officially bought by Marvel, it was under the Marvel imprint, they brought it back a couple times. Again, kind of as a straight Arthurian legend comic book. And through the years, it became less of a singular character and more of a mantle that was passed down. And so mm. I think that's how Dane Whitman ties into all of this, is that he's a descendant. He's in that bloodline. So the Black Knight isn't just like a title that gets passed down. I think it's also like a hereditary thing. Like only people in that bloodline could wield the Ebony Blade and assume the mantle of Black Knight. Yeah, I believe that's correct. And yeah, what you said, John, about, you know, comics, or what you said about like this not being the era of superhero comics, this predates Fantastic four yeah i said that but yep <laughs> you guys sound the same <laughs> that's fair <laughs> anyway if you like this 
you might like The Scarlet Pimpernel, because this mm. is basically the plot of The Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah. Uh, I only know the Daffy Duck version. What can you tell me about that? So I've read the book, but my preferred version of The <laughs> Scarlet Pimpernel is the Broadway musical. <laughs> um, oh. But yeah, no, here's the here's the secret of The, the Scarlet Pimpernel. The Scarlet Pimpernel is just Batman. Okay. Yeah, the premise go. is the French Revolution is happening. It's horrifying to these wealthy Brits who are, you know, friends with a lot of the French nobility. They don't like that the nobility is getting murdered. So the small group of British men led by Sir Percy Blakeney get together. They form this little band of conspirators who are going to go into France. They're going to rescue their friends. They're going to rescue these these uh, French nobles who are being, you know, persecuted by the, the French rebels who are uprising and, and killing everyone. And they're going to deflect suspicion from themselves by being just the most... There's an entire song in the musical about how the reason God created men is so that men could set the standards of fashion and beauty. And it's all about wearing your pantaloons so tight that your torso ignites and it's just <laughs> gloriously campy. Anyway, yeah, that's the Scarlet Pimpernel. That's what the Black Knight story originally is. And that's a fun premise because it's not that different from Bruce Wayne playing an alcoholic so that nobody thinks he's Batman. It's great. It's good stuff. Love it. Yeah, no, that's... Don't be racist, though. I cannot recommend this book to anybody because of the depictions <laughs> yeah. of the, the Asian characters. And the Crusader story is just, don't go there. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, if you like this book and you want something a little bit more modern, I think what I could recommend would be actually the New 52, the Demon Etrigan stuff. Oh, interesting. That that particular run, if I remember correctly, was was like Arthurian legend. It was in that time. It was he's, I think he's cursed maybe by Merlin or not. Yeah, Etrigan, Etrigan does have a connection to Merlin. Merlin, uh, historically, not just in the new 52. Yeah. So, so there's that whole thing and it's less of a, like a Batman and Bruce Wayne type thing. And it's more of a Jekyll and Hyde type thing. Really interesting stuff. I like the Demon Etrigan. That was my first like real exposure to the character, but I had liked the character before that just kind of been passing in like the very few bits that he was in. So like when they did that for the new 52, I was really excited. That leads me to believe that I might actually enjoy more Arthurian fiction than I have actually been exposed to because that was really fun. This was really fun. I like the Sword in the Stone, the Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. about as much praise as I can give it, having not seen it also in literal decades. Um, I I try to watch that a lot with my kids because I loved it growing up, and my kids could not give a crap. Like they watched it a couple of times, but mostly they just they just want you know just bad stuff. I think PJ Masks should be banned, but I. Ugh. There's so many shows that are just are terrible. <laughs> I, as a kid, read these illustrated classics editions of a, a lot of famous novels and everything. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. They were big, chunky books that are, like, you know, crappy newsprint pages. It was, like, a picture on every other page. But I burned through, like, all the classic novels or kid versions of them. And uh, I remember liking Ivanhoe a lot because it talks a lot about the, you know, jousting rules and how, you know, you start off on your horse with your lance and then you get knocked off and you go to your swords and then you start fighting. And it, it talked a lot about that. And I, I saw some parallels here. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember liking that and we get a bit of that it's always like mid joust they're like well wait someone threatens the king pen dragon forever and then they you know get into the intrigue of the, of the story but you know you know what else i just remembered i like that's a uh, semi-arthurian is a knight's tale yeah with the joker jousting yeah with Heath the joker he has a name it's Heath Ledger. <laughs> i remembered it <laughs> <laughs> want to know how i got these scars i fell off my horse you ever take a three-foot lance to the face <laughs> You want to see a magic trick, Mordred? <laughs> I just want to point out, three feet is not that long for a lance. <laughs> That's an average size lance. No, it's not. Mm. Lance is like ten. All right. <laughs> Are we talking about when it's cold out, or are we talking about normal lances? Oh, so 
some nights are shy. <laughs> I think we should move on. I really don't. Do we have anything else to say about this story? Not really. No, There's not um, a whole lot of substance, unfortunately, I think. They're, I'm glad that they put a little warning at the beginning. I hadn't, we, we've read other comics that are problematic, but none with a straight up like, hey, um, acknowledgement of, you know, this was wrong then, it's wrong today, but we want to have discussions about, you know, inclusion and, and whatnot um, in in comics. So not every issue. I think it's just the first one had it. I'm glad that that's, that's a, applied for the whole series. Yes, yes. I'm glad that there is a, like a, a, a warning like, hey, uh, by the way, this was wrong, it is wrong. This is why a lot of classic literature, like you buy the Penguin editions or whatever, they start with essays. Because sometimes it's like, hey, this is a really important text, it was very informative, it was very influential, and it still holds up today, except for certain elements maybe haven't aged so well, mm -hmm. and so let's take a minute to unpack that. You know, mm -hmm. like that's that's why those things exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This also is kind of a reminder to me that how much of comics, you know, before the whole collectible craze happened or, you know, even before that, right, in the early days of superhero comics, a lot of this is pulp fiction, right? Like it's yeah. going to be disposable. You're, I mean, I think a lot of this run, you could probably read individual, you know, books of it. And if you're jumping into the middle of it, I think, you know, you're fine for the most part. There's kind of kind of self-contained chapters of like a slightly bigger narrative. You know, again, kind of like I said, there's not a whole lot of substance, but I think that's the point. And they're just kind of fun, you know, throwaway stories. And I kind of miss the more the more we've read some of these older books, the more I kind of wish there was like fiction around. Like I wish we would kind of go back a little bit to that where we have, you know, stories that are just kind of meant to be fun, disposable things and not necessarily part of a bigger canon that's supposed to tie into something later, you know, so on and so forth. But hey, you know what? That exists. You know where you find it? Where? In the checkout aisle at the supermarket, because they still sell those Archie Comics magazines. That's true. Yeah, but I That's mean, it. I want That's it. Bit, I want a little <laughs> bit more than Archie. <laughs> <laughs> I want this very particular niche thing, very narrow, but not like that. <laughs> but not like that. Listen, <laughs> I want ice cream that's spicy, but I don't want it to be chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, chocolate ice cream with, like, cinnamon in it? Mmm, that sounds so good. I also found mm. out that, I don't know if we call it that in Mexico, but here, apparently, uh, like, Aztec chocolate, I think is what a lot of people call it, is, like, spicy chocolate made with, like, peppers and stuff like that. I mean, I think it comes from, like, Aztec <laughs> recipes, but, like... No, it does. It does. His, like, historically... I've looked into this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Historically, chocolate in, like, Mexico, Central South America uh, was flavored with pepper with peppers and things like that and it was mm -hmm. the europeans who added sugar to it mm -hmm. yeah huh. not that the europeans were wrong to do that but it actually is really good to have like red pepper chili flakes in your hot chocolates it can be really good i just don't know what they call it there you know in the motherland i don't, I don't know what it's called there i only found out about that like maybe a few years ago here because like it kind of became a bit of a fad for a little bit but oh i have a recipe it's very good <sighs> should we should we talk about what was the other story we Wait, read oh i think we cut john off to, I, th I think john was about to say something <laughs> No, no, I was going to make a joke that it's called chocolate, but let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I know eight Spanish words. Let's not jump over them. <laughs> uh, are, are four of those words uno, dos, tres, cuatro? Hey, I know 12 words. Guess what, guys? <laughs> oh, you know what? That just uh, that just triggered me to like a stupid U2 song where Pano starts the count off by saying uno, dos, tres, catorce. He jumps straight from three to 14 and I will never... That's that's Bono. Oh, I thought you said YouTube, and I was like, no, that's not YouTube, that's U2. But then my brain was like, no, no, he said U2. You just heard YouTube because you're an idiot. Yeah, uh, who counts like that? Bono. It's ridiculous. Bono. Bono's drunk at the wheel, can't can't get his Spanish numbers straight. 
<laughs> However, that does tie in with the other book we read. Speaking of numbers. Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, one, two, three, four. And I guess I'm summarizing that. I forgot that for a quick second. <laughs> I, was doing, I, was, I was just doing the segue. I was hoping somebody else was going to pick up the wheel on that one. I was drunk at the wheel on that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so the other book that we read, like I just said, Fantastic Four, one, two, three, four. Kind of a, I don't like that title. I get the point, but you could also read it as like Fantastic Four, 1,234. <laughs> Whatever. This is a four-issue miniseries written by Grant Morrison, pencils by Jay Lee, colors by Jose Villarubia, and letters by Richard Starkins and Wes Abbott. The concept here is that each issue focuses on an individual member of the Fantastic Four. It's not as rigid as the premise sounds, and the story here kind of starts out with Reed Richards is locked himself into his thinking room and he's tied up to his thinking hat and so he's doing a lot of thinking he's been neglecting <laughs> sue storm who's talking to alicia masters and she's gonna talk about how she's you know maybe kind of sort of lusting for namor again you know because he pays attention to her and reed just locks himself up in his room while this is happening the thing has also kind of gone back to yancey street for like a little bit to try and kind of reconnect with his roots but due to the collateral damage that he causes when he fights people you know he's kind of kicked out they don't like him because of the damage he's causing and so he's frustrated sue's frustrated johnny storm kind of gets in he's kind of frustrated from the boredom of there being nothing to do because reed richards is locked in his thinking room so him and ben kind of fight for a little bit and he dips out to go on a date and while this is happening there's been like a thunderstorm that's been happening uh, over manhattan and it kind of becomes apparent that this isn't a natural storm this is being caused by namor and then we have earthquakes and there's i think like a like a mole dragon or something comes up um, like a ground whale comes up and uh, kidnaps alicia masters and with the rain happening also kind of sucks in johnny storm so the mole man kind of comes out of and reveals his role in this which is that he's causing this damage because dr doom surprise has promised mole man alicia masters as like his bride or queen of the underground people and he kind of gets to kill johnny storm for whatever reason sue storm kind of talks a little bit of i don't know sense is the right word but she talks a little bit of sense into namor and they namor and the mole man have an argument and namor decides he's not going to be anybody's lackey he's not going to be anybody's underling not even dooms so he kind of turns a little bit on doom and he helps sue and johnny fight a giant robot that doom has with the help of namor kind of walked up to the manhattan shore and is attacking the baxter building prior to a lot of this happening because i kind of latched onto that particular thread of the story he talked to ben and kind of tricked dr doom talked to ben grimm and kind of tricked him into believing that dr doom isn't like another person that he is the like evil or bad counterpart of reed richards but like on a literal sense like he is like his like rejected embodiment of bad reed richards and so he kind of tricks him to go into like this time machine where he goes back to his normal human self but in the present but he is ben grimm i think like maybe a few weeks before the accident would happen but he's in the present something weird like that's happening like he can't quite remember all of the modern events sue finds him and they go and they fight doom and they kind of distract him a little bit and stuff like that in the meantime reed richards has been figuring out that doom was up to something that he's been manipulating history through like the strings of reality or time itself to alter events and so while he was in his thinking room he expanded his brain to be able to see these like threads and has taken control of the prime mover which i don't quite understand what that actually was that doom was using to alter these events because doom is kind of the reason that these characters were kind of a little bent out of shape for whatever reason i think maybe it wasn't 100 percent clear to me this book was trying to sound way smarter than i am anyways <laughs> <laughs> so reed richards wins doom kind of gets sent back to his place and Namor and the Mole Man dip, and everybody's happy and in love, but certainly did not consider cheating on their husband happily ever after. <laughs> 
she really considered cheating on her husband again for like. Oh, she was time. she was seconds away from yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a that was a point. In the, uh, what did you guys think <laughs> before I go on my rant? Oh, like right there on the razor's edge, right? Like they kiss and like she says whoa after. And she's into it too, and she like doesn't yeah. push it back or anything. He's like, "Oh, I helped you out, babe," and he's like, "Cool, let me you know give mama a big smooch before you leave. One for the road, yeah. baby." Yeah, she's got it. She's got her hand behind his head. Yeah, like she's not just she is kissing. She is not being yeah. kissed. Yeah. And then, yeah, then they, they finish locking lips, and she's like, all right, let's go get my husband out of his thinking chair. Mm-hmm, yeah. I liked this. Um, I'll tell One of the things that I'm just, since I'm looking at issue four right now, I want to mention, we have this huge doom bot, right? Basically, just going after the Baxter building. There's, a, there's only a few panels showing that, and you figure in comic books, you're going to get, like, if you have a big robot attacking a building, that's what all you're going to see. But we see it at different angles where we're, we're still experiencing it from the point of view of the characters and less, like, huge establishing shots of a big robot attacking the building. And I appreciated that. I was like, okay, good. We're not getting the obvious thing, you know. We're getting, you know, these cool shots from below. If you see how big this, this you know, Doombot is, but it's Namor and Johnny Storm, like, bursting through it and tearing it up. Um, we're, we're getting, you know... Not not what you'd expect in this kind of situation, as much as focusing on, on how the characters are reacting to it. I, I was hoping for a more rigid, like, one, two, three, four. Like, um, have you guys read uh, Superman for All Seasons? No. Yes. So it's four books, and the, the narrator changes. It's Lana Lang, it's um, Lex Luthor, I think Lois Lane, Lois Lane, and um, off the top of my head, I forget who the fourth is. I don't think Superman is ever the, the actual narrator. Is it Jimmy Olsen? It might be Jimmy Olsen. That seems like the obvious one to do. I haven't read it in about a decade. It's pretty yeah. good from what yeah. I remember. It's, it's, it's so it lives long. on my shelf, and it's really good. It's a, it's a Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale one, but I was expecting with this format, this one, two, three, four, and how it was a different character each time to be more... We're going to do all of the Thing's story, then we're going to do all of Johnny Storm's story, we're going to do all of Sue's story, and then we're going to end with Reed. Um, but it, it all kind of mixes, so I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I think it was just I wasn't expecting to get all of the stories kind of colliding and, and still seeing, you know, what was happening to Ben later on. Yeah. Honestly, it didn't feel like there was, like, a hyper-focus on each individual character, right? Because a yeah. lot of the events were kind of leaning into each other. And I don't think any particular character served as the narrator for that particular issue. I think if they wanted to lean into that gimmick a little bit more, there was certainly a lot more room to do it. I think if I was grading it on that expectation, it probably wouldn't be graded all that high. But I think without that expectation, just reading it as a book, I think it was, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Even if the whole Master Movers and the whatever brain expanding thing happening going on was most of that went over my head. I couldn't tell if that was like all the little um, captions, if that was specific mechanics he was doing or just like, you know, read Richard, Richard's overhead, Prime Mover, Metagambit, Real Time, Space Gauntlet, Grid, 000, Cube, 023, set. if that was like the way he's doing this, you know, three-dimensional chess game with Doom, you know, if that was just his way of explaining, here's the part where my thirsty wife helps Ben Grimm and uh, doesn't <laughs> yield to any more temptation, you know, <laughs> This is, I knew this was going to happen. I've planned several moves ahead, including my so, so thirsty wife. That's why I locked myself up for days and days and days. You just cannot play against Namor Speedo. It's it's a hard piece to, to fight. Yeah. It's, it's like if the opponent had three queens and two of them were in a, in a swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So this is, this is Grant Morrison, right? Yes. Yeah. I am a noted fan of Grant Morrison's work, although the more of it I read, the more I wonder if I just don't really like All-Star Superman and Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis. Like, I like a lot of the stuff that they did for DC Comics. I used to like the X-Men run that Morrison did, but the more I've read it, the more I've kind of questioned whether, whether I actually like it or not. Yeah. I don't remember. I remember not liking the art, and the storyline seemed weird to me, so I haven't read it, like, start to finish the entire run, but eh. 
I've read it start to finish the entire run. It's a lot like, I think that Morrison's X-Men tries to do what Jonathan Hickman's X-Men actually does. <laughs> and in some ways it succeeds, but it's not ambitious enough, which is a wild thing to say about Grant Morrison, whose writing tends to be very ambitious. And that's one of the things that I think I struggle with with 1234, which was, first of all, better than I expected it to be, because I had somehow gotten it in my head that this was just a bad story. And it's not. It's fine. Um, there's no reason for it to be four issues. It could be one very easily. Yeah. But, you know, there's this high concept here where Dr. Doom has, you know, this machine that allows him to rewrite history and he rewrites himself to be like, or he pretends to be the evil side of Reed Richards' personality. And so there's all of this interesting high concept that gets set up. But it seems like the only way that it really pays off is in the Ben Grimm stuff where yeah. Ben Grimm gets sent back in time and he loses an arm and he kind of loses himself in that sort of hatred and self-loathing, which is very typical for the thing. But, you know, it's good because that's a <laughs> sort of story that you can tell with the thing. Everything else just seems to be doom slipped mole man a fiver, right? Yeah. To, to do yeah. him a favor. <laughs> there's nothing really tying into that really interesting high concept concept and doom is ultimately defeated because reed anticipated that he was going to do something bad so reed built a machine to stop it before it happened you know what book did this concept a lot better was secret wars again jonathan Hick that's hickman taking an idea that morrison kind of did mm -hmm. and doing it a little bit better which again i don't want to throw any shade at, at morrison really because freaking batman r.i.p final crisis batman shoots Darkseid with the same bullet that Darkseid used to shoot Orion and the bullets going like back and forth in time and there's a lot of good stuff in Final Crisis. I think that book got a bad rap. It's good. Mm -hmm. I like Grant Morrison. Honestly, Morrison's stuff is hit or miss for me. I know there's a lot of people out there that really like most of Morrison's stuff. For me though, it really does feel like hit or miss. There's some stuff that really hits that I really enjoy and then there's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, like you were saying, it feels ambitious and it doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah. Yeah. Because Morrison also did the Batman and Robin stuff, right? That yes. Was a, yeah, which I really love that run. It is hit and miss. When it hits, it's really good. And sometimes it does not hit really good. Like, I, I'm thinking the... the first bit where Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne team up to fight this evil circus. That's all really good. And then the Jason Todd stuff is actually really bad. And yeah, I don't know. It's got some really good moments in it. It's got some questionable moments. It ends really strong. It, you know, it's all really good. It's all like interesting. It's all fun. Mm -hmm. But I also think that's stuff that Morrison, that's Morrison operating at like the height of their powers. They were kind of struggling in the 2000s. Then the early 2010s is when Morrison really starts to, to excel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Again, this book was better than I thought it would be. I like the art. It's not 100% my style, but I appreciate it. I think it's interesting. I was gonna I was gonna try and figure out when to segue into the art. Because we didn't really talk a lot about the art in Black Knight. We talked a yeah. little bit about the portrayals of characters, but I, I don't know. It, was, it seems like kind of standard art for like 1950s comics. So I don't know that there was a whole lot to talk about. The art in here... <sighs> I've always struggled with Jay Lee. Jay Lee has never really been my cup of tea when it comes to art. I was first exposed to Jay Lee's art in the Dark Tower comic books. Oh. Which I believe they are printed by Marvel, actually. I don't know if they're on the app, but I think they are on, they are a Marvel uh, print. But I, I don't know. I've never really liked it. I think older Jay Lee, I'm maybe a little bit more comfortable with. I mean, and I mean older than this, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just, it's, it's not my cup of tea. I think it really works well for a lot of the really kind of fantastical stretch elements in the last issue where you see Reed Richards in a lot of these weird poses where like he's stretched out, like his neck is like stretched out and like he's doing like a kind of like a gorilla pose for some reason. A lot of those like more kind of sci-fi fantastical elements towards the end. I think Jay Lee's art is 
exceptional for that. The rest of the book, I don't know that I'm entirely sold on on the art style. I I thought it worked. I don't know. I the thing is hard to do because if you do the thing well, then he looks great. If you don't do the thing well, and I'm including like the original drawings of him with his weird like overhang brow that doesn't quite work when seen from different angles, then he doesn't look that great. I think I think my favorite thing is like we read the first trade of um like when the Fantastic Four came back into print that or Secret Wars where is he part of the world like he's like enormous and he's like Doom has made him into like a mountain or something I don't know he's he's not like, the thing I think he's we... the wall that keeps the Marvel zombies out if I'm remembering that right yes and he looks great as the wall this I think was a great way like the thing is, looks great in this comic um, particularly compared to you know other portrayals I don't know I, I worked for me everything's kind of like tonally you know Nothing's super detailed. Everything's kind of like in the rain. And I don't know. I like I like noir stories. So if you're if like we're gonna set an entire story in the rain, I'm like, oh okay, keep talking, go ahead. So I don't know. I think totally it worked for me. Um, I liked how the uh, panelings broke up. Yeah, I don't get why Reed's neck had to stretch out so much in in the fourth issue like that. But I mean, to be fair, if you're drawing Reed Richards, why wouldn't you stretch out him in any weird way possible? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like he is Mr. Fantastic. That is his power. So better draw him that way. Um, I don't know. It worked for me. Um, I, I I think, to your point, Aldo, I, I don't know if I've always enjoyed Jay Lee's work, um, but I also, gun to my head, can't remember a specific, you know, other issue that, because I think we've I believe something before. I say? think it was an X-Men book. Mm. I think it might have been some X-Men Was it Forget books. Me Not? No. I have to consult the list. I but... believe it might have been in one of those, uh, those, like, multi-series events that you forced us to read. That was a good choice. What do you, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do something like that to you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so unlike me. It was it was X Men, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of those. I'm one of, so like, the, sorry. One of like the Hope Summers like trilogy books. I can't remember events. One of those. I think I think he was doing the art for one of the books that was part of one of those events. <laughs> um, Executioner's song is what I'm finding on our list. Uh, that, oh, that, that, that makes tracks. sense. That tracks. Oh, that one was bad. <laughs> Thanks. All right, all right. We don't have to. We don't have to list all of my failures. <laughs> So one of the things that I like that Jay Lee does in this book, uh, and it's actually the thing that John's talking about, is the way that he shows the Fantastic Four kind of casually using their powers, specifically Johnny Storm and Sue. Reed, when he does it, it's a little bit weird. I'll give you that. But like Sue is just periodically turning invisible. Like parts of her are turning invisible if she's not just straight up invisible the entire time. She does have this weird lunch with Alicia Masters where Sue's invisible, Alicia's blind, so it doesn't really matter. But why is Sue invisible? I don't quite understand why you're doing that. That didn't sit super well with me. But there are other moments where Sue's just kind of like casually lounging around and she's invisible from the legs down it's almost like she doesn't quite have full control over her powers johnny storm is constantly smoking like there are little bits of flame all around him and it does something to make the fantastic four especially again well those two characters in particular it makes them look a little bit monstrous in a way that's still kind of appealing with reed it's just a little bit monstrous and then the thing is you know the thing he's almost always monstrous and i kind of like that Mm -hmm. because i don't think anybody's ever really leaned into the fantastic four as a whole being freakish and monstrous they're the popular superheroes yeah, they're the celebrities. Even the thing, the whole point of the thing is that he thinks he's a monster and he thinks he's ugly and he thinks he's unlikable, but everybody actually kind of likes him. This story doesn't do that. People don't like the thing in this story. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I don't know if Morrison leans into it enough for it to be super meaningful and super useful, but it's interesting. I applaud the effort. I also feel like part of the whole powers thing, kind of like you were talking about how maybe Sue's not in total control. I think that does tie into the whole Doom is manipulating stuff you know, in, in, in the back. Because Johnny, when he's on his date, right, like, his head is on fire. Like, he 
like, you know, he has, like, the fire hair instead of, like, just, you know, kind of being powered down. And the girl that he's on the date with even comments that, like, you know, she he's kind of burning her, her by being so close to her in the car and that type of stuff. And so I think that ties into it, which I think does a really good job to illustrate that something's not quite right. Because these are characters who, like, you know, even at this point in the comics, it's not that old of a book. Actually, 2001. Maybe, yeah, 2001. It's a little bit of an old book. <laughs> but, you know, in relative to when the Fantastic Four started, they should have, you know, control of their powers at this point. So the fact mm-hmm. that they don't is interesting if you're reading like that visual subtext. Yeah. Which again, Jay Lee, really good job of that. Here, here's what I think. You know, in cartoons, when they have scenes where it's just they're in the dark and it's just eyeballs? Y- yes. So there are scenes in cartoons where it's just eyeballs being animated in the dark. And presumably, I think it's a funny gag, but it also is probably a lot cheaper and faster and easier to animate. Jay Lee has a, has a, dialogue here between um, Alicia and Sue, and it's just Alicia and then like a floating uh, handkerchief, you know, or a napkin rather. M- m- like the the cynical part of me is like, well, I mean, that makes your, your assignment much, much easier if instead of drawing two figures, you're just drawing one. And then you, you know, break up and do interesting things with the paneling and being like, hey, uh, it's it's not really raining. What is that? Oh, it's straight up just Namor. I don't know. Seeing I, part, part of me thinks like, oh, this is just a, a, a clever way to be like, haha, I'm only, I'm doing half the work. <laughs> <laughs> but but making it interesting. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think you can do both. Uh, if, if I'm talking about this cynically, like, yeah, he's just kind of finding, like, a quick way to draw these panels. Sure. But also, they are they are in a, like, her apartment is all windows. Yeah. So maybe it's a privacy thing for Sue. Like, I don't want people to know where the Invisible Woman is, you know. But, like, also, I feel like, you know, if, if you know, continuing to be cynical, if he wanted to put in more work, he could have done the whole half-invisible stuff as she's talking to, to Alicia. And maybe at some points, only her hand appears, or only her hand is invisible, stuff like that. You know, if, if I'm being cynical about the amount of effort being put in the, into these drawings, but then again, a lot of these drawings are beautiful, so, like, I don't know, I don't know how much of this is, like, economical, or how much of this is, like, visual subtext storytelling. Good point. It could be both. I mean... One of my favorite uh, anime franchises does that a lot, where they cut a lot of visual corners, or they do a lot of visual tricks to cut down on animation, but it works in the way they implement it. So mm-hmm. I try not to be super cynical about that because, again, a lot of, you know, this is expensive work and they're on a time schedule. So, like, it could be both. It could really be a, a way of, like, how can we convey this? Also, what's a way we can cut out a couple hours of work? Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to mention was the colors. The colors kind of range from, like, kind of desaturated to very desaturated. I think it's got some interesting choices, especially in the segments where Ben Grimm is in the hospital. And mm-hmm. it's almost black and white, it feels yeah. like. That really, really interesting take. I don't know. I don't know if that's just, like, the colors thing. Again, I don't know if that's, you know, the colorist or the narrative or what. I thought it was really well done. But I'm also really used to, like, Jay Lee's a little bit more modern art kind of going back to the Dark Tower books being really vibrant, really vibrant colors with his art. And plus, you, you, the, the Fantastic Four, the first family of comics, you expect them to be in their bright blue uniforms and, like, out there saving the day and fighting off, you know, things from other planets, from other dimensions, whatever. They've gone to hell many times. Um, and this we get, like, everyone's kind of down. You know, Reed's, Reed's cut himself off and they don't know why and everyone's kind of like, ugh, and it's, you know, they're not gelling as well. So I think totally it does a lot. Um, and it's not just, let's see, an angsty take on the, you know, it's not just... Um, a gimmick where where it's like oh we're being dark uh, it's you know this is a this is a downtime for the team and here's what happened I'd be interested to see where the highest fantastic I think is uh, Galactus coming of Galactus the highest Fantastic Four story that we have or is it Parable it's not really a Fantastic Four story though is it I mean by extension <laughs> but I mean also by extension wouldn't like Secret Wars be up there too Secret Wars is is it ends in a fight between Reed and Doom yeah. It looks like um, Unthinkable is the highest. That's that's pure Fantastic Four. Right. Uh, no, Coming of Galactus. 
Oh, yep, sorry. Yeah, which one's Unthinkable? What number is that? Unthinkable is the one where Doom wears an armor made out of his, his dead girlfriend and, like, sends Franklin Richards to hell and kidnaps Valeria. Oh, yeah. Just a fun Number time. 27. <laughs> it's good, good old adventures to hell with Uncle Doom. <laughs> Indeed. So... If we're ranking, though, we should probably start with the Black Knight. Yeah, I'm scrolling down to get to that part of the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big list. We have 231 stories on our list. We've read a lot of comics, folks. Like John says, Fantastic Four actually have ranked pretty high on our list. Only story that I can think of that we've read that features the Black Knight in any capacity is Vampire State, which is at currently number 96. So actually still pretty high. Uh, this version of the Black Knight does not go that high, unfortunately. Even though I want to recommend it, I just don't think I can. <sighs> Where is, you guys remember that, um, Frankenstein versus Dracula story that we read? Yeah. Is that giant size, is that giant size Dracula number two? No, it's, it's Frankenstein's monster versus Dracula. 210. It's number 210. Mm -hmm. I want to rank this around there. It's got stuff to recommend it, so I actually think it would go higher than that. But it's also got some really awful racist caricatures, which make me think it doesn't actually go higher than that. Okay. In terms of the racism, is this worse than Marvel 1602 and Steve Rogers? Oh, gosh. No. I think this is... This is... Marvel... Like, <laughs> it's tough because I really like Neil Gaiman, but also he should have known better. <laughs> where it's like... Don't, don't make your, your white boy the native hero. Like, no, no. He elevated the term white savior. Gah. Black Knight seems more like ignorance as opposed to out, out, out and out, like prejudice. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a product of its time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to excuse it. No. But, um, I think the intent is not malicious though still harmful, yes. but I think it works better as a story than other things that are above Frankenstein's Monster vs. Dracula, which I don't remember enjoying. And I definitely did not like the Marvel Zombies books that are just above it. Um, I, I would put this above Spidey-Man vs. Nat-Man and Rotten, which is at 191, um, which is a parody book that I just kind of you know, roll my eyes at. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, you know... I think that this is the area, but somewhere between 190 and 210 for me. Mm. I have a hard time putting this above 200 on the list. So I guess by above 200, I mean below the 200 numbers. Um, mm. My floor is Marvel 1602, because again, I, I think this was, e even with Marvel 1602 being a little bit more modern and kind of doing like the trick of like, haha, here's all the Marvel characters as like Pilgrim era stuff, right? This book in the Black Knight sections is fun. Is it a bit of a chore to read? Yes, but it's, if you can power through that, it's still fun. So like for me, my floor. Or just skim it. Yeah. It actually, yeah. your enjoyment will be greater for mm -hmm. skimming it, I think. So my floor is 1602. I wouldn't put it below that. I don't know that I would put this that much higher above most of this stuff. I like. I think maybe a ceiling for me would be extremist. It's, I'm going to say a lot of things that I didn't think I would ever say. I think the Iron Man story is better. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Make sure we record that and... Uh... <laughs> and post it to Spotify. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I have a new text tone. Steven being wrong. <laughs> So here's the thing. Um, who is it? YouTuber I really like, T1J, talks a lot about he he's uh he talks a lot about cultural issues, typically from a a, a black American viewpoint. I think he did a short video recently where he pointed out that a lot of conservatives like to make fun of liberals for getting offended on behalf of people, and he actually thinks the conservatives are right to do so. That like it is silly to get offended on someone else's behalf. And so I think that the fact that the the depictions of the, you know, Islamic characters, the, the Asian characters in The Black Knight, they're kind of awful characters. They're, they're, they're pretty awful characters. 
readers. I don't want to get offended by that. So I think I have to rank this book higher than something that actually offends me, which would be Rojas in Marvel 1602. Like, I don't even know if it's racist. It's just cringe. Which means that I think I would rather read Galacta, Daughter of Galactus than The Black Knight. Hey. Is what I'm saying. I, that's the one book I'm, I stand on a soul fill on. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, no. If we're talking about like things that are awful and cringy or whatever, it is Galacta, daughter of Galactus. At the very least, we have to put it above that. I don't think we do. No, what? Here's the thing. Galacta is not racist. Here's the other thing. Wolverine is a giant planet head, and it's funny. <sighs> it's absolute My trash My vote is to put garbage. this at number 205 right above Marvel 1602. I second that vote. Oh no, John. Oh no. <laughs> I respect this little triumvirate system that we have, <laughs> even in moments when it's wrong. At one point in time, Marvel 1602 was number 23 on the list. Probably because we had only 23 comics that we'd read. <laughs> I know, it's still just funny to think about. <laughs> one more day was two, if that helps. Because <laughs> it was like the second one we read. So it was like, well, let's put it at the bottom. We need a bottom. Well, I mean, a test stayed at the bottom, so. Mm-hmm. Boy. Well, that was fun. Um, let's, <laughs> let's rank. Let's rank one, two, three, four. I don't think that goes super high. I think it struggles quite a bit to like stick the landing. But I don't Yeah, I think it's it's bloated. It's very middle. Uh It is very middle. Yeah, here's the thing, not again for like the fifth time that we've said that and not pointed out that that's also a funny joke. But this is one of those books that I think could benefit either from being shorter, kind of like Stephen had mentioned during that discussion. I also think it could benefit a lot from being longer and exploring a lot of the stuff that was happening. But as it mm. stands, it's a it's a short book that's bloated. I wouldn't call it bloated, but I do think that, yeah, either, either trim the fat so that you're not hinting at things that you don't explore or give yourself just, I think, just one extra issue. Like, one more issue would be enough to kind of round things out better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is because of, you know those missteps i think it is kind of a, like a middle book but i still i still liked it i, th- I thought it was good and different than uh, other portrayals of the fantastic four we've seen so i don't know i'm, I'm i don't want to like say an opening number and then be shot. here i've got a floor okay i've got a floor um because i think this is a, a it's a good read but it's not a great read it does something different with the characters that maybe doesn't quite stick the landing but you have to admire the creativity and it does it better and more succinctly than earth x which is at number 119. That's the floor. Okay. I think we go up from there. Yeah, yeah, good. That's, yeah. My ceiling is number 60, which is forever. Oh, that's a huge range. That is. Yeah. That is a really big range. We can we can whittling out from there, but I would not put this above forever. Oh, yeah. I think it goes significantly lower than that, uh, but I do agree. Being, I think, the other Fantastic Four story that we have... Uh, we have not read very much Fantastic Four. Yeah, it definitely isn't as good as Forever, which wasn't perfect, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. I Is it a little weird to say that I probably wouldn't put this above Mary Jane and Black Cat? No, that book is surprisingly good. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> that gives us a range. That gives um, us a more manageable range of about 20. Yeah, that's number okay. one. Okay. Not a whole lot of books call out that Mary Jane has a dump truck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, maybe let's let's stick with what we know. Is it better or worse than the New Hope manga? That's um, an excellent question. I think better just because New Hope manga leans on your you you meaning people love of uh, you know Star Wars. I still like it though. You say that like it's a bad thing. No, 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 no. I just. You know, this is telling its own story, not an adaptation of another story that you can't help but compare the whole time. I would put it above Rogue and Gambit, but I know that you guys like Rogue and Gambit. I, I just, I don't know why that didn't, that didn't click with me. Oh. Uh, because that's a relationship that's like straight out of my, you know, childhood X-Men. You know, I should, I should be all about that. But for whatever reason, I don't, I don't remember liking that one very much. Yeah. And I was going to say that, granted, it's not that much more of a jump, but I would put this above Project Gossamian. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe above Squirrel Girl Volume 1 again. Nah. I'll, I'll give you the Project Gelsinium, 
but this story does not have multiple squirrel girls going back and forth in time to team up on Doctor Doom so that they can recreate the panel where Doom is throwing away the squirrels, the squirrels from the, you know, Squirrel Girls classic first appearance, only instead of throwing away squirrels, he's throwing away squirrels girls. Squirrel girls. Yeah, that, that scene is too fun. That one scene is better than this entire book. You know what? And that is another Doom and time related book. Right? And it does it a little bit better. <laughs> Plus, Doom is like wearing a fur coat the whole time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he is. Sometimes, you know, sometimes when you forget about little details of a book and then someone describes them to you and it's like you've skipped an episode of your, you know, favorite TV show that you binged and it's like, these guys are just making crap up. This is not even a thing. Does that ever, that ever happen to you guys? No? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it happens. It happens. Yeah. So, so above, uh, above Arrow, huh? Mm. You know what? This book ends. So, yes. Arrow is unsatisfying and may never be satisfying. This is just rushed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or it's either rushed or bloated. It's weird that I can't decide which it is. Uh, But yeah, I would put this above Arrow. I'm going to agree with that. Yes, it's in that weird spot where like it could benefit from either trimming down or adding more. Personally, I would lean to like adding more because I think the whole concept of just the Fantastic Four family could have been like subtly manipulated is interesting. And then kind of the idea that Reed Richards has locked himself in his room and kind of has kind of left them without like a leader so they're all kind of like scrambling their board that stuff in a longer run would be really interesting there it is all right we got our placement uh number 115 between squirrel girl volume one uh, again there's got to be a better title for that and arrow nobody nobody suggested anything else so that's what i chose (laughs) that's fair that's our fault that it's odd that it's right in the middle of the list like almost numerically exactly the middle yeah interesting that is interesting that is very interesting. i think so, that i think that says that our list is is more good than bad because that, yes. that area is still pretty good yeah did we ever decide on a point where like it's bad like the list somewhere around Pun- where punisher pops up a lot more like uh silent night or yeah like the pain chain. Pa- yeah like 195 everything after that is like would not wreck well see i say that i don't have as big of a problem with civil war <laughs> Because it got me back into comics, but there it sits in the in the in the crap bin. <laughs> Funny you should mention Civil War. Oh no! Next time we decided that it is time we are going to be reading Civil War Two. An event so nice they did it twice. Uh, but was it nice? Oh man, I hate the first Civil War. Anyway, we're gonna read the second Civil War. This has battles of Bull Run three and four, which yeah, it's exciting. You thought there were just two. Oh boy. <laughs> I, f- I see what you did there. Uh, that's terrible. Um, we d- we're not satisfied with just reading the one story, though. I think when it comes to a lot of these event comics, we feel like we miss out a little bit on the experience if we don't read some of the tie-ins. We are all kind of hurting for time, so we're only reading a single tie-in, but it will be the uh, Kingpin four-issue tie-in. So it, I think it's 12 issues altogether. We're reading the main Civil War II event plus the Kingpin tie-in to see what that tells us kind of about the larger events going on in the Marvel Universe while the Civil War battle itself is taking place. Should be interesting. I largely skipped Civil War II the first time around. I read the Ms. Marvel tie-in and that might be it. Also, I'm a little excited, not for Civil War 2, but just because we don't really read a lot of Kingpin, even though he is actually like a pretty interesting character. Kingpin is arguably one of the best villains in Marvel Comics. No powers, but manages to go toe-to-toe with a lot of superpowered individuals exactly. and hold his own. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of, have, have we ever read Back in Black, Spider-Man book? No, we haven't. And I'm curious to revisit that because I know, although you and I both really like it, yes. but I haven't read it basically since it came out. Yeah. So I don't know how well it holds up. I, I mostly remember that fight with him and the Kingpin where he puts him down like in front of a bunch of his thugs. That just 
being like a really cool power moment, but yeah. I don't remember I think a that's lot. all that I've read of that, so. So I think it's debatable. So Doctor Doom is almost inarguably the best villain that Marvel has to offer. Magneto is up there. Kingpin's probably up there, though. And Iron Man. There we go. Top four villains <laughs> in Marvel. <Comics. laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting about Kingpin, though, is how easily you can move in between characters and yeah. still have him be enough of a presence and a force that he can't be ignored. Helps when they all fight in New York City. I saw this headline, and I don't know how the story plays out, but I read it and like, yeah, that makes sense. And the headline is, Kingpin finds a loophole in immigration law and becomes a citizen of Krakoa. And that's like an actual storyline that's happening. <laughs> no. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's amazing. Right? That's great. That's amazing. Yes. And it is like, yeah, that I could see that. I would also love to see a either like a Tony Stark or a Steve Rogers against the King story. That has to have happened. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna see how because Captain America against Kingpin. That's like I just imagined he would do something very like all of you. You know, if you fight me, what does that look like? You know, superhero, World War II veteran. You know, fighting just a powerless businessman type thing, and he would like really kind of push that angle. I think that'd be kind of interesting to see. Hey, Marvel, hire me for the 15 <laughs> billion time. I got ideas for days. Sons, <laughs> call me, call me Aldo Lee. I'm the inheritor. Come on. <laughs>